everyone and welcome to another episode of the Through the Gears podcast. I'm your host Anthony Bruno and this past weekend the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity Series and Truck Series was at the biggest speedway in the world, the Talladega Super Speedway and we saw different types of racing going on throughout the weekend with a little bit more chaotic races happening in Xfinity and Trucks while the Cup Series had a little bit more of a milder affair. Now before we get into that, we do have some breaking news, somewhat breaking news that was released earlier today. Alex Bowman, who was involved in a crash racing sprint cars earlier in the week, is out for the next three to four weeks with a fractured vertebrae. Josh Berry will be subbing in in the 48 Allied Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. Now, this is kind of a big deal for Alex Bowman and a big deal for Hendrick Motorsports. And this is the second driver for them this season that has suffered a injury off the track doing extracurriculars and has affected them heading on to the track. At first, it was Chase Elliott who suffered a broken leg um, snowboarding and now this sprint car wreck with Alex Bowman. I'm not going to get too much into the discussion of should drivers have extreme or dangerous extracurriculars, should they be racing other things outside of the Cup Series or outside of their main job. I'm not going to get too deep into that, but what I will say is that it is unfortunate. I have seen the, the incident. Thankfully, him and the other driver that were involved did get up out of their cars and walk away under their own power. Um, it's unfortunate that this injury was suffered, and I do hope for a speedy recovery for Alex Bowman. I hope he's able to get back to 100% and back behind the wheel of the number 48 in the three to four week time period. Now we get to the actual racing, and we'll start with the Xfinity series, where it was a great action pass race, action packed race on the Saturday, with. A lot of jostling and action and a lot of moves happening within stages one and two. There were some quite big wrecks, including a wreck involving Blaine Perkins, where it saw him flip multiple times, and Perkins was actually taken to the hospital for precautionary reasons, and that wreck brought out the red flag. Perkins has since been released from hospital, and he is doing okay. There is the expectation that he will be uh, racing this upcoming weekend in the Xfinity Series. But there has been no actual information that has come out saying whether he will or won't. That's just the expectation that he will be back behind the wheel of the car this coming weekend. Outside of that big wreck, there were several others mostly in Stage 3. The big one being with Daniel Hemrick. Got a little bit too far out when leading the race and had a bad block in. Turned towards the outside wall and the ensuing wreck took out about 12 cars. It was another major red flag with Hemrick ending up on his roof. This kind of diminished or not really, I wouldn't say diminished, but kind of nullified the pacing of the race up to this point. It had been going pretty well outside of the few incidents here and there. 
but I felt like overall the racing was really good from the Xfinity series. Outside of the typical wrecks you'll see with sometimes a lack of experience, a little bit more aggressive driving with the younger drivers. Now Jeb Burton, racing for Jordan Anderson Racing, grabs the team's first Xfinity Series win. And it's a big win, an emotional win for them, seeing as in the fall Talladega race in the Truck Series last year, we had the incident involving Jordan Anderson that um, saw him get secondary degree burns. And it was a big fiery accident. He was taken to hospital and for him to not only to recover, but for his team to be able to bounce back and pick up this win at Talladega is is huge. And it probably helps to put this whole thing behind them. It's a turning point for him and the team. And I think that it was an incredible story to come kind of full circle like this with the team winning at the same spot where the team owner had a major life-threatening incident. Jeb was able to cape out of the late race, uh, late race uh, mayhem, able to take the lead throughout the overtime period and hang on for the win. It was great for him. Uh, second career Xfinity Series win, both of them coming at Talladega. And... Hopefully he can take that momentum and push it on throughout the rest of the season. Speaking of those late wrecks, there was a lot of people that benefited from them. With the likes of Jordan Poole coming in 5th, uh, Cesar Baccarella in 6th place, you had Greg Golding in 8th, and Josh Williams in 10th. It was a very mishmashed top 10 and top 15 with a lot of the heavy hitters and possible winners um, wrecking out early or being caught up in incidents. And some of those heavy hitters that unfortunately weren't able to either make it to the end or didn't get the finishing position that they were looking for, quite a long list here, we'll just name off a few of them. Austin Hill, who was looking really quick early, but was caught up in a couple in, in an incident, basically took him out of the race. Riley Herbst, Chandler Smith, Daniel Hemrick, as I mentioned earlier, Justin Allgaier, who got up into an incident involving his teammates, and it seems like Junior Motorsports can't keep out of their own way again, with this one not being really their fault. Then you have the likes of Sammy Smith and John Hummer Nemechek, who were caught up in some smaller incidences that kind of took them out of the race. Next, we head to the Geico 400 for the NASCAR Cup Series, and while it was a little bit of a less event, uh, eventful race than the Xfinity Series, there was still good racing, good action. It was a lot more 2 by 2 side-by-side action, um, and there was less carnage, but it was a lot more strategical. Now, there were some very interesting moments during green flag pit stops where you had the likes of Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe both spinning coming into the pit lane with Briscoe ended up um, sitting on the splitter bringing out the caution. Uh, which was kind of interesting during the green flag stop section. But there were a couple key decisions that really changed the outlook of this race. Um, for getting to those, 
we have to talk about the major wreck that happened between Ryan Priest and Kyle Larson, where Priest basically T-boned the passenger side of Larson's car. There was big damage. It looked as though the roll cage it kind of caved in. Um, a lot of people were saying, well, it would have been really scary if it had happened on the driver's side. The driver's side of the Cup Series cars, I think especially after the incident with Ryan Newman at the 2020 500. They have been heavily reinforced around the door side area and the window. So I think while it would have been a still a very hard hit, I think the impact would have been very different and the outcome of the impact would have been different if it hit the driver's side. Still do think though it's very fortunate that it did hit the passenger side of Larson's car. Both seemed to be okay. Both got out of the car under their own power and were checked and released from the infield care center. Um, Back to those key incidents. There was off of one restart some a key incident that involved Ross Chastain, uh, the likes of Noah Gregson, and it was basically Chastain trying to squeeze his nose where there wasn't really a hole. It ended up causing a wreck involving Harrison Burton and Noah Gregson. And a lot of people were, rightfully so, I think this time, getting on Chastain's case for kind of a bit of a reckless move. And I do agree in that sense. Even though he's been getting a lot of flack for his driving over the last couple of years and Things blame people blaming things on him that weren't really his fault. I think this one squarely falls on his shoulders. Now, before we get into some finishes to highlight, I do want to give my opinion on the super speedway package as there is appears to be some discourse amongst fans and people within the industry about um, how these new generation, the Gen 7 cars, are racing around the super speedways. Now, as someone who's a fan of super speed racing, I can say I find it a little bit better than Gen 6, uh, mostly because there is a lot less um, incidences and cars being taken out due to wrecks. But the reduction of the speed of the runs, which used to cause some of those wrecks, has resulted in a bit less action and races have been hitting a bit of a stalemate point, which isn't to say it's a bad thing. It's just in kind of incorporating the strategy, um, the strategy aspect of super speed racing. I think for it to be a good package, you would need to find a bit of a balance between those runs in the green flag racing and being able to generate a third line and not having the run get so big where if someone throws a late block, half the field gets taken out. It's a delicate balance, I think, that needs to be achieved for there to be really good super speedway racing. I feel though this style reminisces more towards 
the Gen 4 style of super speedway racing where was less tan it wasn't there was some tandem drafting with some pack drafting but there was a lot more strategy in the overall pace of the race and the action of the race while there was action and stuff like that there was less wrecks there was i would say better finishes and those kind of things so i think in that aspect minus the pack racing part i think we have closed in toward what people consider the glory days of the gen 4 era but i think there still can be some tweaking i don't think it's perfect i think there still can be some tweaking towards what can be brought um to super speedways to improve the racing now we look at the winner Kyle Busch takes the win after at the time leader Bubba Wallace pulls a bit of a double triple block that leads to him wrecking out on the final lap and this win sees a 15 year drought for Kyle Busch at Talladega snapped and he joins Kyle Larson and William Byron as the only multiple race winners of the year so far. Now, to talk on that point, there was a point made in the booth by Tony Stewart where he said, Bubba Wallace has to make that block, and to that I kind of disagree. I think if there was a little bit more patience, he makes the initial block and then just... He makes the initial block low, and if um, Blaney passes him high, just use the backstretch to build momentum to get a run with himself. Um, Coming off of four with Kyle Busch, um, I think that would have been better than trying to double block or triple block so early when you still have about a backstretch to go. And the likes of Kyle Busch and some others are very sketchy on fuel, so you don't know what's going to go on around you. So, while there is some urgency and some defensive defensive moves that need to be made, I think in turn one, I don't think you don't need to go that hard. You still would have the backstretch to be able to generate enough momentum to, to make a run again, but it's unfortunate. It seems as though Bubba Wallace keeps tripping himself up at the end of these super speedway races time and again and putting himself in positions where a win or a good finish gets taken out of his hands because he's put himself in a precarious position. Now on to the great finishes of the race. I won't really say runs because of just the unpredictable and ebb and flow nature of super speedway racing. So we'll start with RFK with a double top five for Chris Busher and Brad Keselowski with Busher in third and Keselowski in fifth. Next up, Eric Jones of Legacy Motor Club finishing in sixth place. Great top 10 for them. They have been struggling as of late, so hopefully this will be able to help reignite um, their season. Uh, even though Noah Gregson didn't really finish that well and was taken out in a wreck with Ross Chastain and Harrison Burton. 
I think him being that far up and having the chance to be up front um, is a good sign for Legacy Motor Club and with the Eric Jones top 10. It's definitely something that they can build on. And the last one, a name that I've probably said a couple times over the last couple episodes, Todd Gillen, 10th place finish. For someone that is currently on a part-time Cup Series schedule with Front Row Motorsports, he is really making a case for a full-time drive in the Cup Series next season. Every time he's gotten behind the wheel of that car, he has shown up and showed out and really... He's giving them more and more reason to possibly put him in that 36 car full-time next season. And now, sorry for some of the unfortunate finishes. Like I mentioned before, Bubba Wallace had a chance to win, and a bad block saw him wrecked out on the final lap. Martin Truex Jr., who led 19 laps at one point in this race, ended up finishing 27th on the lead lap. I don't know what happened to him. Maybe he got caught up in some traffic. Maybe he was caught up trying to avoid some incidents and lost positions. Not quite sure. Wasn't really shown on the broadcast all too much. But after he lost the lead, it was he just kind of disappeared into thin air. And then finally, Stuart Haas Racing. And while Chase Briscoe finished up in 4th place, the rest of Stuart Haas Racing didn't really do too well. Ryan Priest crashed out, as mentioned before, but then you had Eric Amarola and Ryan Harvick, and Kevin Harvick, excuse me, Harvick finishing 21st, and Amarola finishing 22nd, with both of them leading 11 laps each. It's unfortunate that uh, they couldn't really make something of that that good running order early on. And now NASCAR heads over to Dover next, the Monster Mile. And while it is more of a short track, they will not be running the 30% less downforce package for the Cup Series. Um, so who can really make some moves at the Monster Mile with a package that will then probably generate a lot more dirty air and we'll see what kind of tires that um, Goodyear brings for this race at Dover. Now we head across the pond to the return of Formula One and with the cancellation of the Chinese Grand Prix due to China's COVID restrictions, we've had to wait a month between Australia and Azerbaijan. And there are three main talking points heading into this Azerbaijan Grand Prix. The first one is obvious. Can Red Bull keep up their dominance? Even though the finish of the Australian Grand Prix was kind of a mess, to put it lightly, Max Verstappen was still able to come away with the win. And before the red flag, he was basically walking away with the race. Can they keep that up, and at what point will we start to see their the wind tunnel time and the arrow time penalties instilled from the 2021 cost cap breach? When will we start seeing those to take taking effect? 
Next point, Aston Martin. Can they continue the form of being the outright number two team in Formula One? A third and fourth place finish after all the mayhem in Australia. And a points finish for Lance Stroll. Two out of the three races with one of them being his only non-points finish being a DNF. Three straight podiums for Fernando Alonso. Can they keep this up? And will they be able to keep the upgrades coming in order to keep that number two position moving on past Azerbaijan? And finally, on the topic of upgrades, who's bringing upgrades, what are they, and what will they look like? All we've heard on the upgrade front is that McLaren has an upgrade package coming for this round, the fourth round of the championship. We have not heard much else. We don't know if and when any other teams will be bringing upgrades. We don't know if there are upgrades coming, who will be bringing them this weekend. So that is something, and that is definitely a storyline that will need to be watched as the weekend unfolds. But that is it for this episode of the Through the Gears podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bruno. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you guys next time.